Welcome back to the Burlap Podcast. I'm Chris Fulmesby. I'm the president of Burlap, and I'm here with Chris Abel. Hello. Chris and I have been doing the podcast for a couple of weeks now, and we are just enjoying it, having a blast as we get to talk about reaching emerging generations and ways that we can engage them. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership. We're going to be talking about emerging generations and leadership. I know for me, and as Chris as well, that we have a passion to help raise up leaders who are going to help the church be uh, the church that God calls it to be, the agency that God is using, as I like to say, to restore the world towards its intended wholeness. So part of what I do in my role at my church is just to try to figure out how can I create process and systems and just ways to find, identify, and then to uh, empower through investing and mentoring, empower leaders. And so we've been doing quite a lot of talking with emerging generations about leadership, just trying to gauge what kind of leaders are you looking for, what is, you know, what is valuable to you as a leader, and things like that. And we've come across some, what I might call, idols of our leadership. And so what we're going to do in this podcast, we're going to talk about four idols. We're going to talk about the idol of creativity, the idol of short-term success, the idol of comfort, and the idol of command. And with these idols, we're just not going to name them. We're hopefully going to provide for you the other side of what those idols look like. And the reason why we're doing this again is to help churches and church leaders, our listeners, understand how can we best engage younger generations in leadership. So I don't know if you want to just dive right in or if there's anything else you want to intro to say to that at all, Chris. Well, I think, you know, one of the first things that's helpful to realize is that when you try anything new, when you try to be ambitious, when you try to be creative, when you try to reach these new generations, um, if you have some success, that sometimes comes with like, a few little areas that you have to watch out for. That um, I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in other leaders, that when you when you start to get the ball rolling, there are some things that can stop momentum, that can hurt yourself, your ministry, or the people you're working with. And so that's part of what we're talking about today, is we name these as idols, because idols are things that take God's place. And uh, and we can we don't we don't worship you know metal, uh, metallic, uh, animal shaped idols anymore. We have all sorts of different things that replace God in our lives uh, as our focus. And so that can happen in ministry even too. And it's easy to happen when we're not looking for it. And so part of this is also stuff that we're naming in our own ministries in our own lives, and we want to help you uh, see uh, ahead of time. And I think there's all kinds of idols outside of these four, obviously. We're just kind of scratching the surface. And again, we're not trying to just be pessimistic or deconstructionist. We're really trying to be constructionists in the way that we're trying to help people see that maybe the way they're leading or the people around them are leading is more detrimental towards engaging emerging generations than it is um, helpful, right? Yeah. And so let's first talk about this idol of creativity. What in your mind, Chris, is the idol of creativity? Okay, this one's kind of interesting, right? Because uh, if you go on any blogs out there, you're going to see there's like church stage design blogs. You have it's it's the next coolest thing to have a podcast now. Podcasts are really big; they're blowing up. Um, we have all sorts of different outputs of different things that are supposed to be cool, supposed to be creative. Um, I have um, worship leader friends who uh, all all now are, are releasing their own special albums. You know, it's very it's it you've reached like a pinnacle when your worship team has an album they can re they re release, and uh, and. And you know what's interesting to me is I have friends like this that they're driven less by some kind of innate thing that God is calling them to in their own gifts and their own lives and more of 
oh, I see that church over there is doing that kind of creative thing and I need to step up my game. And so I think sometimes this idea of the idol of creativity is not one of that I'm a co-creator with our with our with our creator with the big C and it's more of hey how do I keep up with the Joneses how do I do what that other church is doing what about my album what about my thing what about the stage design what about the you know my sermon what about the illustration the technology changing the font and and ultimately creativity can become an idol we can put it before we put God and I know a bunch of people and I've had this happen in my own life where I uh, am trying to be creative but my heart's not in a good place my spirituality's not in a good place I'm uh, I'm in a you know I'm 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 touting that I'm creative and yet I'm not willing to uh, stay in touch with with my creator yeah I know for me I've just looking back on my own leadership and uh, the last 20 or 20 or so years of being in church ministry I know for me there's been a number of times where I've actually I can almost think of two occasions in particular very vividly where creativity was the idol and it made me want to change or innovate just for the fun of change and innovation to the to the degree that it really didn't matter what the impact was going to be. Right. It was really more about how much can I even challenge my own self in the creativity? Like what new thing can I think up? And it wasn't always to be flashy or cool or to keep up with the Joneses. Sometimes it was, right? Cuz you know, your buddies down the street are killing it and you you want to kill it too and so you're like trying to keep up. But sometimes it was just came out of boredom. It was like Yeah. I'm bored and I need to create something new for me or I need to go find another place that's kind of more challenging. And it's just the wrong way to, to look at it. And looking back on and I'm telling you personal experiences, right? Not I'm not saying that this happens to other people. Maybe it doesn't, but it certainly happened to me. And I think the idol of creativity is one that we kind of, in some ways I would say we let each other do this as well because it is cool to be creative. It is uh, something that you want from other people. So you're like, man, I want to be as creative as Chris, let's say, right? So we kind of let you live into that idol a little bit because we know that like maybe we'll get something out of it, like a next new idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes any well, sense. but Each of these idols can be healthy things. Creativity is great. Absolutely. It is an amazing aspect to any ministry, to any business, to any person. Right, right, We're all, right. We all have a creative aspect to us, but it's when it becomes an, an idol and we begin to serve it that it becomes unhealthy and it can actually block a hurt ministry. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of when I first got into youth ministry, I wanted to be creative to prove my worth. Yeah. And so I remember I, I worked for this church that had a, a like a youth, um, like a youth center and it was, it was rough, man. It, it looked like a 1992, uh, which is, I know that's not that long ago for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Oh, sorry. Uh, it was, a, it would look like a 1992 skating rink. And so it was just like weird neon colors, not in, it hadn't come around yet. And it was just, it was rough looking. And I remember going in there and my design, I just had this dream. I was like, we're going to rip up the floors. I'm going to try to get a grant from you know our foundation and, and put in like wood paneled flooring and ripped stuff out and I went to our administrator and I, I shared this grand vision with him and I just expected him to come along and he his response was like Chris why don't you why don't you do ministry for a few months and then you know we'll see how it goes and then you, mm-hmm. we can talk about this some more and he he kind of gently he kind of gently cooled my jets a little yeah. bit and then what ended up happening is years later they did a whole transformation of the entire church and the youth center ended up going to a different space that was more conducive to ministry and and it was it was beautiful it was amazing and but but it wasn't that they said no to creativity it was that they they were they were patient with it 
and they were uh, strategic with it, and they didn't rush it, and they didn't make an idol of it. Yeah, so there's an example. There's a friend of mine named Charlie. He lives in Dallas. I think he still lives in Dallas. I actually haven't caught up with him for a little bit. So, but I remember Charlie telling me this story of when they were redoing their youth center quote unquote, and they thought it was going to bring in so many more kids and so many new kids and just new families and thought that if we have like the higher end stuff, if the video projectors are killing it, we have games for everybody. And it's not just youth ministries, right? Churches do this too. Like how cool can our lobby space look and feel? And again, creativity is an excellent thing to have. And you should be thinking about those things, but not letting it become an idol, right? And I remember Charlie thinking, how great this was going to be. And as he started to receive the students who hadn't seen the update, right, they were like, okay, but this is still the same thing we've always done, Mm -hmm. right? And so creativity was there. The building was beautiful, had all these new things, but there was still the substance and meaning was missing. And I think that's the other side of this idol, right, is trying to figure out how do we move past creativity as an idol and what then do we live into making sure that it doesn't shortcase uh sorry shortcut substance and meaning so i what do you think about that i, I you know i love this because because this is um in some ways this is like when you you know someone knows how to put on the facade wear the cool clothes you know you, we joke around sometimes with senior pastors wearing skinny jeans right in flannel because they're, <laughs> they're just putting on the facade like mimicking creativity or trying to catch up or putting a new font on the sign outside or but doing the exact same thing internally uh, people people can kind of get a whiff of this and then we can actually kind of it can actually become we can make fun of it. it can be a source of mockery when creativity stops having substance and it starts becoming um, mimicry, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I can, I'm trying to think of an example of ways of like that I've made fun of. I'm not in a, not in a mean hard way because yeah, I know ministry is hard, but way. like, okay, sometimes <laughs> it's a mean hard way. Um, but that people have, you know, quote unquote, tried being creative, but it's just been kind of like a facade lit level change. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the people who, mm, the people who, are really creating they they're not forcing it mm. you know there's and that'll that'll get into i think one of our other points here but you've got to have the answer to the idolatry of creativity is uh you it has to creativity has to serve substance and meaning right and that's when you're going to get your biggest bang for the buck yeah I think what happens sometimes, and this is moving us into idol number two, the short-term results or short-term success, or sometimes you know, we refer to these as short wins, right? These things that we can do where we have this immediate burst of energy as a result of like growth in some way, like bit more attendance or, um, you know, or, or uh, just greater participation at, at a programming level or whatever it might be. I think, and everyone's guilty of this. Right, right? like we all like We are. all like, want numbers. I know, I know. Uh, but you know what's funny is that as we talk to the young people in our church, they see it. Mm-hmm. They see it in us, right? So it's like, well, you're leading this way. I don't really want to be a part of that kind of leadership. I want to be a, a part of a different kind of leadership. And so when when you start to let creativity serve yourself or change or innovation for the sake of just change it leads to this creativity for idol two short-term success or results Mm -hmm. i know i see this a lot i do this a lot right it's like you you almost feel like you 
you mentioned this earlier, you prove your worth by how creative you are. Now you prove your worth by how successful you are in these short bursts, long term too, because you hope it adds up. Mm -hmm. But like, hey, this worked really great, or this worked really great. And really, it's like, really, it didn't really do much of anything except maybe attract a few new folks to attend something. Um, and we do that in such a way that I think it, it's detriment, detrimental to our, our own self. That's why we call it an idol, right? Yeah. Because it's also an unhealthy, you know, numbers are fickle. And even even a healthy growing church is going to have down Sundays. And you can't judge uh, your worth, your leadership by one week. And one week's attendance, one week's uh, number of people who show up to an event um, that that's not that's not an accurate representation of who you are and who you are in God's eyes, but also your capabilities. You know, one um, one aspect of this when I was church planting, you know, there's it, I, I felt like I was in this weird zone, right? Because um, I felt like my language about growth was a little different than my senior pastor's language about growth, and so the, the what what I did is I tried to be I honored the DNA and the culture that he had set and the vision that he had, which was to grow and reach new people and um, and I just had to put it in my own words. And so the way I shifted things is I told people, you know, this is our launch team and we're going to try to reach new people. But I want you to know that we're not trying to grow just for the sake of growth. That our goal is not just to get people to sit in seats. The goal is that we have our future friends and future leaders. And people who are going to sit next to you and worship with you and play with your kids and you're going to have barbecues with people and you're going to cry with these people and you're going to build and serve and change lives with these people and they don't even know you yet. And they won't ever get to know you if you don't first invite them. And so everything was through the lens of these are our future friends and relationships. And if we fail to share, then then that's a, an experience they won't have because we've kept this to ourselves. You know, and so it was about, I tried making it as human and relational as possible. And that's, I mean, that I think that serves the, the idea here is, um, you know, you can't be manic about it. You can't be rushed about right. reaching people. You can have a dream. You can have a vision. You can get, you can aim for results. But, um, but the idea and the, the drive to grow needs to be paired with an unrushed spirit. And I don't know if you have anything to say to that. Well, no, just I was as you were sharing that, I was thinking back on an experience I had even last night. I went out uh, for a meal with some of my friends, and it, it was a busy place, and they were rushing us, right? They were the the serve staff was like rushing us to get done with our meal quickly, just so that we could like make room for whoever was next, right? And I get that, right? They got a job to do, and they're trying to just move people through so that they make more money at the end of the day, right? The more people they get through their buying meals, the more money they make. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just remember thinking, I probably won't come back here again, at least for a while, because I don't want to be rushed. And the two experiences I had at this restaurant, I was rushed both times. Mm. And I don't know that what that has to do necessarily with the idol of of um, well, think about short-term they're, they're trying results. to get more yeah, customers. They're trying to get more sales. For me, though, like I would rather go to a place that is probably a little bit more expensive, where I can't sit, you know, maybe save a buck or two, where I can just sit there and be with my friends and not have to worry about being rushed, because there is something I think very. Uh, I'll use the word. Like you feel content or you feel peaceful. You feel like I'm not rushed. I can enjoy this experience. And I, I'm not saying that churches rush or don't rush and, and short-term results maybe. I don't know. What I do know is that discipleship, 
period, right, is just an unrushed kind of thing. It has mm. to be because we don't mass produce, you know, we don't make widgets, right? We make disciples. They don't look the same. They don't act the same. They don't smell the same. They don't speak the same. They are all very different. And so I think when we approach like a almost like a uh, short-term results kind of thing, it leads us sometimes when we let that light, uh, that idol captivate us, it leads us into this sort of mass production mentality yeah. where we can't like just settle in and just let time do its thing and be trusting of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the world. I think we try to make that happen. And it's just not a healthy way for us. One, I don't think you can survive it. At some point, like, yeah. you, you get to the you become a like, machine. Yeah, you yeah. can't survive it. And people notice it. I think people notice it a lot when, you know, that there's been times in my life where people have asked me, so how are you doing? I'll be like, good. And really deep down, I'm like, I'm doing horrible because I feel like I've created this thing that now I got to keep going. And then I just got to keep this machine going and going and going. When really it's like, just stop. Relax, trust the spirit, mm -hmm. and live into the relational side of things, which is maybe how you were describing your different understanding and definition of growth uh, when you were church planting. Yeah. Can you imagine for a minute if like Jesus was gathering his disciples together and he was like, I noticed that the crowd we had last night was <laughs> down 10% from last week. I want to see more fishes and loaves, right? I want to see 15 baskets this week you know not and I'm, I'm making i'm making a little bit of a joke right, right. and i don't know any pastors that are jerks like that yeah. but but can you imagine if he if jesus felt like he had to outdo every miracle and no what, what we saw what i think is interesting is the beginning of acts it says there's a 140 it's either 140 or 150 I'm, i forget right now but it's 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 only over a little over 100 people that's 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 who how many christians there are when jesus um resurrects i think that's who's left like 140, you know, he didn't create, uh, an, you know, a network, a movement, you know, a, you know, a system that reproduces. No, he like, he loved on 140 people really well. And then those people loved on people and that transformed the world. And, and I just have to remind myself of that when I feel like my program should be bigger or I should grow or more people should be showing up. And the truth is that if you're focused too much on short-term growth, um, people can tell. And they're not going to feel loved. It's the opposite of love is when people feel like numbers and they, and they can know what's happening. What if, okay, so let me stop you right there and say, well, then to use your uh, illustration, so you look a little bit deeper into Acts and Peter preaches this sermon and 3,000 people come to know the Lord, yeah. it says, right? So how do you make the jump from 140 because we're Jesus is just loving people to this like one sermon that brings 3,000 people into the mix. What would you say to that? What I say to that is that Jesus hasn't set the culture that it's just the numbers. He set the culture that these are human lives, right? And Peter's not trying to, like, you know, he, he's not trying to set up like a massive infrastructure, right? He's just trying to help people transform their lives. He's trying yeah. to share. Yeah. And he feels an obligation to reach an individual. He, you know he would have preached just as passionately if it was two people. Yeah. Or if it was 50,000. Well, and I love that story because that sermon is, you know, because it says, and they were cut to the heart, and then they asked, what should we do? Oh. I mean, that's just a beautiful thing. And I, So I think, you know, we have idol of creativity. We have the idol of this short-term Well, those were the long-term results. Right, the long Yeah, okay, yeah. keep going. What were you thinking? No, the, so so if the, if the idol is short-term results, then what Jesus did is he trusted the people he left behind, and he trusted us. 
And there have been huge long-term results. Like God's really patient with that, with this movement, isn't he? 2,000 years and God's yeah. still patient with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so creativity, or idol, this other side of that is substance and yep. meaning. Creativity serves substance and meaning. Let me say it that way. Uh, short-term results is one side. The other side is like this unrushed, faithful presence mm-hmm. that we have as we let the Holy Spirit guide us into doing long-term ministry. Some might call it the art of the long view, like stuff doesn't happen overnight. Just right. be patient, be unrushed. And then let's move into the third one, this idea of comfort. You were talking about this earlier. Tell me what you mean by the idol of comfort. So this one I fall into, this is one of my idols, is I want people to feel super comfortable in church, especially since I have a heart for people who are unchurched, who have been burned by the church, who uh, who are like too rational or logical to want to be Christians. And I feel... Like I just want the church to be to have as few barriers for those people as possible, um, and so I remember I was I watched a band called The Brilliance give a performance and then do a Q and A, um, and this is uh, Michael Gunger's brother David Gunger, who I, I I that's no insult to I think I really like The Brilliance music and David's really wise, and I was asking him he has a really highly liturgical church, and so I was asking him when he was talking about liturgy. Well, you know, isn't this kind of alienating to some people? You know, isn't it? Don't, isn't the goal to like help church be comfortable for people? And he had a really profound thing. He said, "He said, if comfort is your goal, you'll never outbeat the living room. You know, you'll never outdo someone's living room because they can have brunch and they can have their couch and their television, and like church will never beat the comfort of home." And I thought he had a really good point. Like we're chasing things that um, ultimately they can get better elsewhere. And if so if entertain, if comfort is the goal, then we're never going to get there because we're never going to be able to beat home. Um, so that's where I feel like comfort, and sometimes this can be kind of like relevance, like we want to be, we want to speak into people's lives, but sometimes that means that we're setting the bar so low, not to help make it an easy entry, but we just keep it low, which means we don't challenge people. Mm. So where the idol is of comfort or relevance, and then the challenge of that idol is that people don't grow, right? And 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 our oblig- obligation is to help people grow. You know, that's what the gospel does. It transforms hearts and minds. And what we do is when we set the bar so low, when we try to make people feel comfortable, they just stay there. And then we're we're not doing our jobs. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of when the guy approached Jesus and, and said, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, uh, foxes have holes, uh, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It wasn't, hey, why don't you come give this a try for a while? It wasn't like, hey, walk with us for a few miles, see how you like it, and then maybe if you're into it, you could stick around. It was like, like, look, it's, this is the way yeah. it's going to be. You're going to be homeless. Hey, listen, Are you this, ready for that? This is going to be kind of hard, and I just want to give you a heads up. Like, I hope you're committed, and you know, if you're not, it's okay. You know, He just kind of puts it out there. I, just, I is... did this a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I had lunch with this guy that I wanted to lead a small group, okay? And I know he's really busy. I know he gets a lot of demands on his leadership. Really competent guy, really sharp guy, just loves Jesus. I mean, love watching him with his kids. He's a remarkable dad and husband. I mean, I just, I'm sure there's some things I don't know about that he struggles with, but I haven't found any of these, right? Just a great, great guy. So I wanted to kind of ask him to be a part of things and to lead, but I, I didn't want to like, posed the question in such a way that like was too much for him because he runs a couple businesses you know he's a super busy guy finally he just stopped me as i was kind of hem hawing around and kind of stuttering all over myself and he goes just ask me like what are you asking <laughs> me to do 
And I'm like, I need you to lead a small group. He goes, okay. That's all you had to say like 30 minutes ago. You oh, know? my gosh. And this guy sounds I, awesome. I was like, I didn't want to, like, I don't know if it's exactly the same as challenge, but I didn't want to phrase it in a way where he was going to say no. Yeah. And I, I learned from that. And he basically took the time. This is one of the great things about him is he took the time to mentor me and say, you know, if you want people to rise to the occasion, you got to kind of lay it out there for them. you got to kind of say, this is what we're, our expectation is. This is what we want to do. He goes, you should never, ever be embarrassed or ashamed or feel like you can't fully just lay out the expectations. And I feel like that's what Jesus did when he told, you know, another example is when he tells, you know, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go, right? And he says, well, fine, you know, then let's go. You know, today's the day. Well, let mm-hmm. me go back and bury my father, right? Let me wait for my dad to die so I can get my inheritance and get what's given to me, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus is like, no, it doesn't work that way. And I feel like there's some, obviously there's ways to be generous and compassionate. Yeah. We're not just telling somebody who just, you know, said, I want to follow Jesus yesterday. Come on, you got to go here. But we do need a pathway to take people there. And I think that's the other side of it is, as long as comfort is the idol, as long as we're afraid that people might say no, uh, and we're not challenging them enough, uh, we're not helping them grow. My my biggest self um, self doubt recently is coming from you know you know this but if you're listening right now I've launched we're launching uh, five small groups for for these young adults and uh, we're using a we're using a model that's like really challenging it's a it's a model based off of a combination of like a Wesleyan class meeting mm-hmm. I hope so, some of you might be familiar with that or a twelve step program mm-hmm. like it's a very structured you read things together like there's expectations to grow and multiply the group and uh, I had these leaders look it over and then quit on me like straight up they just they they came up with seven it was like seven different excuses in the email and i asked them like what was it the curriculum and they didn't respond they couldn't even write me back and i was like so i so so much self-doubt from this idea of like oh my gosh is it too challenging should i make it easier should i make it And, and, and you know the easy answer is yeah i should make it easier i should make it less challenging um but then i had one group go through it and they said they had some of the like in first week they had incredibly fruitful conversations and that's what we're going for is like ultimately i want to help people grow closer to each other and to god and if that's my goal then what that means is that at some point i'm gonna have to challenge people and i hate that i hate that because i don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable do you think that i mean you've been around churches for a while obviously you've been studying generations for a while um do you think that what we call millennials and generation z have a different take on the idea of being challenged than maybe boomers and extras did? Just off the top of your head. I know we didn't really discuss this before, but do you notice a shift in people? I, here's what I notice, and maybe it'll you'll resonate with this, maybe you won't. I notice there's like this impatience to tell me what I'm really signing up for. You know, like not, mm. not like this, um, and, and maybe it's not fair to just, you know, pick those uh, mindsets or generations and compare them like that, because I know all people are different, but... I've noticed that in the years that I've been doing ministry that the young generations, what we call the emerging generations, millennials and Generation Z, are like, if you want me to be a part of something, just say what it is. You know, have you, what do you think about that? You know, maybe we can get in, I I know that Burlap has some really good segmentation data, and I think that might be closer to to the answer here. I think there's some millennials that are really good that way. Like, I have some millennials that are just they break the stereotypes. They're there every week. They're super dependable. I can ask anything of them. I can be direct. And then I have other ones that I have to be uh, almost like a 
like American Ninja Warrior. Wait, what is it called, <laughs> Ninja Warrior? Where you're like dodging things yeah. and backflipping and over it. And like to get them to show up or to be there or to connect with someone, I have to be like, you know, not, I don't say this in a, like what Jesus said. I was like, why is this a serpent gentle as a dove? I have to be kind of cunning and not in a way that's manipulative, just in a way of knowing like, I, I I can tell if I ask it this way or too with too much oomph, it'll be a turnoff or it'll be you know too much to ask or I've already asked a lot of this person. Like I'm, I try to be really 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 careful with those people. So I feel like I maybe that's just maybe that's yeah. just people and less generations. Yeah, this could be. I mean, I do think though that a lot of it comes back to the clarity of what we're asking people to be about, you know, and, and do. And we're asking people to be become faithful followers of Jesus and that requires yeah all that it requires the time and the accepting the challenge and changing the lifestyle and all of those things and i i think i think that the when i start thinking about this last idol cuz they all kind of overlap right so it's let's like, just recap that one real yeah, quick so yeah. the idol of comfort can be answered with challenge, challenge not just like setting high standards for the sake of you know trapping someone but actually having uh, i think a uh, something worthwhile yeah you know challenging yeah. someone to grow wanting someone to be their best that's the answer to comfort yeah not so the last one that we want to touch on is the idol of command we'll mm. call it that like being in charge yeah i love to be in charge i don't know how you feel about it but i like to be in charge i like when all of the decisions like fall on me some people don't like that they don't want to be the person making the decisions they don't want to feel the weight on their shoulder they don't want to have to you know have all of the pressure of what it takes but even i remember even when i was an athlete i love that feeling of like it's it's on me to figure this out or to accomplish this or whatever now there's a lot of downside of that right because when we carry this command or some would even call it this presence or the it factor i think sometimes the it factor is like another name for like presence which could be a good thing like you you hear that a lot right oh that person has stage presence or mm-hmm. you know i heard it about someone who sits in a meeting i don't know if there's such a thing about meeting presence wow he's really listening <laughs> he's really good he's engaged he's a great meetinger um, but i think that like there is this idea that becomes associated when people say things like that about us i'm in charge i'm i'm in command now there are times when you do need to be in charge and take command but when it becomes an idol it changes the way I think we view people and even view why we're leading in the first place. Um, I was in the military for a while, okay? Oh. So um, I had a chain of command, right, yeah. that I followed. And I learned very early that you follow this chain of command or life in the military is not good for you, <laughs> just to put it like... You did, know. It, did it go into people's heads? I mean, yes and no. Like... In some ways, no, because there's always someone uh, above you, right? And in other ways, yeah, I think so, because like when you start wearing a number of stripes or, you know, your pins on your uniform are a little bit different or things like that, yeah, there's a certain sort of feeling of command that comes with that. Not that that's wrong, right? All of these things, we've talked about how they're good in and of themselves. It's when they become an idol. And I think that sometimes we feel this duty that this way that we're supposed to be the people who to order all of this and it causes us to sometimes even act outside of our own skill set mm-hmm. to act outside of our own real scope of awareness to have answers for questions you don't know you actually know the answers to i mean have you ever like when was the last time someone was asked a question 
and you watch them come up with an answer even though they had no idea and yeah. you're like really because you, you feel pressure you don't know yeah you know like but i don't know that it's necessarily command that makes it but i do feel like there's something in that whole world of being in charge that we don't want to let people think we're not or somehow we don't have this aspect of leadership figured out mm-hmm. i think Maybe call it authenticity, genuine vulnerability, all these words. But I think one of the things that young people, these millennials and Generation Z, want to see are faithful leaders who are willing to say, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't have an answer to that. Or I'm one of many people doing this. I'm not just the man in charge or the woman in charge or whatever it might be. I think there's a certain... um, attraction if you will that younger generations have to leaders who have a a bigger a sense of a bigger picture above all of this and i think that command thing you know i know for me personally it feels good i like it so i want more of it and that causes me to lead differently now i don't lead a church right i work for somebody who leads a church and i'm you know the person i work for is an incredibly gifted leader in many many ways I never get the sense, though, that there's like this, um, you know, uh, no one else can lead here but me. Right. I get the bigger sense, which is we all have a role to play. Let's figure that out and let's help each other do that really well. And I wonder what it's doing to non-religious or even religious millennials and Generation Z watching the church struggle in this area of leadership when they already see it perhaps in their school if you're young right or your sports team or your extracurricular club or in your place of employment if you're a little bit older and you're working and you see this struggle for command or power like Mm. i wonder if it they look at the church and they see the same thing and they go yeah people are human but like i thought this was going to be a different place and an example of where this becomes an idol is and and maybe you've encountered leaders like this you know uh but i have a, a friend she's a young pastor she's an associate and her senior pastor uh demands respect he he flout he flaunts all the time that yeah, he's well, that the one in charge work. he's you know he, it comes down to him he'll just say things because he's the leader and it has completely broken that relationship she's demoralized she has to carve out her own slice uh, maybe you're listening right now and you're you're in that place and you've encountered that leader you work for that leader and uh, it just breaks it breaks my heart because this guy with just a little bit of an attitude change with a little bit of humility could say uh, you know. I'm sorry if I have been a bull in a, a bull in a china shop here. You know, I'd love your input. I don't actually know about this area, so let's find someone who does know. You know, there's something so refreshing about a leader who can just say, like, you know, I don't have the answers, and uh, or has the competence to know what they do know and what they don't know. Well, and I think that's the other side. That's the answer, this, right? Is the response to this command or this you know presence if you will this like authority this power is this competency and i think sometimes people feel like competency is just strictly how well you lead and so that just produces more command but i think competency really boils down to two things character and trust right trust in your character and then trust in your leadership abilities right so i think a lot of times we someone would say well i don't trust you they might say that in a way that it's like, well, I don't trust your character, but really what they're saying is I don't like the way you lead or Mm. I don't trust that your leadership can take us there, right? Um, As a parent, 
right? So I have three teens living <laughs> in my house, man. Like to just demand respect, psh, right? That doesn't work, man. Right? Let me tell you, uh, my son, Drew, uh, he's 14 years old. If I said to him, you know, you have to respect me, he'd go, why? Like, yeah. because I said so. Like anybody who's a is listening to this and has kids knows that that phrase uh, because or, I said, or, or was a kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that means everybody's like, because I said so. It's just like the most ridiculous thing we can say. We say it easily and flippantly because some <laughs> ways is the first thing that comes to our mind. I want you to respect me because I said so. And in fact, what my son might say is something more like, well, if you kind of showed me the way, maybe it'd be a little bit easier for me to see. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, he's never really articulated it to me in that way, but he has every time I've said, because I said so. He's like, that's dumb. One time he said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> you know, And we, I have a pretty open relationship with my kids <laughs> in the sense that like, I don't get freaked out when they like show me a little bit of their anger or frustration or angst that they might have or whatever, because it's tough being a teenager, man. So yeah. I try to give them a lot of leeway. But they, I can tell that when my son asks, like, why, what he really means is like, well, maybe if you showed me, I could understand it. And I think that's partly the competence, like how the trust we get, we, we, we work with people to build that's based on character. And then that is based on how well we lead. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I think my son and my other kids aren't just looking at that from one small slice of the pie. They're looking at the whole picture and saying, really, Dad, you're, I need, you need to get my respect just because you're my dad. How about you show me the way that works? And, and you know, the... The trajectory, if if you were a heavy-handed leader, father figure, right, what would happen is the only power they have in that relationship is to cut you out or to ignore you. And then that's where you get rebellious teenagers. That's where you get kids who cut their parents out. It's also what happens with millennials and Gen Z in the church, right? If they encounter a heavy-handed leader who's too um, too excited about their own power, they, you know, they'll let you keep your leadership and then they'll leave. Yeah. And that's their answer. And that's what we want to do. We want to help raise issues like this. Yeah. Because we want to help churches change the narrative or tell a new story of vibrancy and growth, not of decline. And I'm not saying that if you change all four of these things in your life that there's all of a sudden a magic formula and millennials are going to start coming to your church and loving it. I'll say that. that There's a magic (laughs) formula. No. I am saying, though, that if we look deeply at the way we lead, whether that's through our creativity, our desire for short-term success, or creating comfortable experiences where we don't challenge people, or the way we take charge, if we look deep in that and we say, how am I doing with that? In what ways am I doing that leading well? And in what ways am I just, is it just awful? Because I do think that our leadership is viewed, observed, and scrutinized by people. It is at all levels, for not good, just if, for good or bad. Yeah, yeah for good or bad. And I don't, not just if you're a senior pastor. I'm, I mean, wherever you are in the quote unquote chain mm-hmm. of command that I mentioned earlier, you will be looked at. And we want to help churches ask the questions that help them become better churches and leaders as well, better leaders to help engage millennials and Generation Z. So that's what this podcast has been about. We're going to continue to talk more about these kinds of issues you can always reach out to us at thinkburlap.com chris abel chris fomsby and we are more than happy to field your questions or even talk about some of them on a podcast email us you can get to us directly from there of course we're also 
on uh, social media. People can track us down there. We're, we're trying to be as accessible and as available to people as possible. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, thinkburlap.com. Any final words, Chris, uh, for our listeners before we sign off for this podcast? I just want to say, pastors, leaders, wherever you are out there, like this is exciting stuff. You know, the church is not dead. There's tons of people who are looking for what you're bringing and that your leadership matters. And so that's why we're talking about this is because we want to encourage you. You've got this. Absolutely. That's good stuff. All right. Till next time. We'll see you later.